everybody out there in podcast land. This is Chris, the public safety guru. Before we begin today's lecture, I want to remind everybody that you can follow us on Instagram. The links are in our bio, as well as we are inviting you to participate in our new website, which is www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You can register. Registration is free. Registration will always be free. The website is designed for those of you that are entering the public safety world. We want to be able to give you all the information we have so that you can be as successful as we were. Okay, so enough with the self-promotions. Let's go ahead and get started with your next lecture. Today, we will be talking about soft tissue injuries and bleeding. This is in preparation for your trauma block exam. If you're in my course, that's going to be block five. And if you're not in my course, this lecture should assist you in preparation for your trauma block or any testing regarding soft tissue injuries and bleeding, as well as preparation for the National Registry. All right, you know the drill, pencil and paper and thinking caps, and let's get started. We are going to be talking about soft tissue injuries, which are injuries to the skin primarily. The areas that can possibly be affected are the epidermis, dermis, and the subcutaneous tissue. Now, you as an EMT student should already know the different structures that are contained in the epidermis, in the dermis, and the subcutaneous tissue. Now, we have different types of bleeding. We have oozing, flowing, and spurting, which are associated with different types of injuries. For example, oozing bleeding is that bleeding that is usually indicative of an abrasion. Flowing is usually a cut vein. And then spurting is associated with an artery injury. So as we talk about bleeding, we are first going to talk about internal and then external bleeding. So for internal bleeding, the way we are going to know if a patient is possibly bleeding internally is through signs of shock. If we do see signs of shock, we are going to immediately treat for shock. Remember, shock is the killer. Now, there are some terms associated with internal bleeding, and I'm probably going to murder some of these, but here they are. Your first word is hemoptysis. Believe it or not, I had to say this over and over again just to get it right for this podcast. This is coughing up blood. Then we have hemoemesis, which is the vomiting of blood. And then you can have coffee ground emesis and then melania. Melania could be best described as dark, sticky feces containing containing partly digested blood. So then for external bleeding, we have our treatment, which will consist of direct pressure, elevation, pressure dressings, dressings, and splints. If those do not work, we're going to switch on over to tourniquets and possibly blood stoppers. So let's break this up with a test question. Direct pressure has failed to control an arterial bleed on a patient's leg. Which of the following should the EMT do next? A. Apply a tourniquet. B. Immediate transport. C. Splint the extremity. D. Provide oxygen. Well, since direct pressure failed, our next technique would be to apply a tourniquet. That would have been your answer, A. So one of our quote-unquote internal-external bleedings is an epistaxis, otherwise known as a nosebleed. Now, there are two types of nosebleed. There are anteriors, which we'll be able to treat, and then there are posterior. An anterior nosebleed takes place to the front of the hardness of our nose, so that cartilage that you feel 
right there is where our anterior will start bleeding. This is controlled through direct pressure by pinching the nostrils together and putting the head forward. Now, posterior, we're not going to know if it's posterior until we realize that the bleeding has not stopped. This is where a doctor will have to insert some type of balloon device into the nostrils to stop the bleeding, thus putting that direct pressure directly on that capillary. Now, nosebleeds normally are not an emergency. However, we do have to think about what may have caused it because sometimes a nosebleed can be indicative of hypertension. So that's just a quick FYI there. Now, internal bleeding is we can have somebody who suffers a soft tissue injury and then they develop a contusion. A contusion is a fancy word for bruising. So we have all different types of contusions. Remember, we can have a contusion um, on any part of the body, including the brain and the heart. Now, sometimes, not only will our patients present with a contusion, but they may present with a hematoma, which is swelling associated with that injury. Now, in itself, these are normally not emergencies. However, sometimes the swelling gets very severe and we have to put a pressure dressing to try to get the body to absorb some of that fluid because it's starting to build up like a ball. I'm sure you have seen people that have like a small baseball underneath their skin. That is a hematoma where the blood is not being absorbed back into the body. Now for soft tissue wounds, our treatment is considered ICE with an S. I-C-E-S. So under I, we have ICE. Ice causes vasoconstriction for edemia control and provide cold for pain relief. C is for compression. Compression if hematoma rapidly developing. See that? Hematoma rapidly developing. Remember that. E is for elevation, for pain relief and edemia reduction. And then S is for splint to immobilize the bones underneath. So regards to the actual physical injuries of the skin, we have abrasions, which is a scraping injury. You've seen abrasions. You yourself have probably had an abrasion. We have some pooling or some oozing of blood at the site. We normally treat that by washing the affected area and then covering with a dry sterile dressing. Normally, abrasions are better off left exposed to let them dry off with the air. But for medical purposes, we're going to go ahead and still cover it up to prevent infection and then let them get treated by the emergency room staff. The next type of injury we have are punctures. Now, the thing to remember about punctures is we have open and closed punctures, as well as we may have objects that are still stuck in our patients, penetrating injuries. Now, we never remove objects from a person's body unless it interferes with their airway or it is needed to, uh, to do CPR. Those are the only two reasons, okay? So I just talked about for airway. Here's what you have to remember is just because an object is stuck in a cheek or the back of the throat does not mean the patient is having problems with their airway. You need to evaluate this. So I'm going to tell you the story I tell my students. There was a call that my partner Frank and I had. When we walk in, I see a firefighter holding the patient's head who was an eight-year-old female and another one has an object in his hand and it looks like he's about to pull it out of her mouth. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we're going to remove this object because it's, you know, could be messing up her airway. I'm like, wait a minute, stop, stop. So then I start to evaluate my patient and I find out that the object that's stuck to the back of her throat 
is a crochet needle. Now, at this point in time in my career, I had never seen the other end of a crochet needle. So I asked the mom, hey, mom, do you have the other needle? Because obviously I did know that crocheting, you need two needles. She shows me the needle and has a hook on it. Well, what, was, what happened to this particular patient was that she was running around with a crochet needle in her mouth and then she fell and it, it got lodged at the back of her throat because she fell on top of it. So it stuck to the very back of her palate. Well, unbeknownst to any of us was that that particular needle had wrapped itself possibly around the arterial artery which feeds the brain. Had those firefighters pulled that, they would have possibly torn the artery and they would have killed that patient right then and there. Now, you may be asking, how do we know this? Well, when we got her to the emergency room, actually, we transported her to a trauma center. Her vital signs were stable. She had a very good airway. Everything was perfect on her. She just had this object sticking out of her mouth through her throat or back lodged to the back of her throat. Well, when the doctors assessed her, they told I told them the story and they essentially did what they did. We found out later on that it had to be removed through surgery, but had it had we removed it in the field, we would have killed her. So that's how I found out the end to our story when we did follow up later on. So this is why it's important that you have to remember when we pull things out and when we don't pull things out, you can cause more harm to your patient. Now we have lacerations and incisions. The difference between a laceration and incision is a laceration laceration is a jagged cut and incision is a nice clean cut. That's the difference. We will treat them the same. The bleeding is the same because it's flowing. An artery has been cut or not. I'm sorry. A vein has been cut. So the blood will just flow out normally controlled through direct pressure. Another type of injury is an avulsion, which is a partial tear. So we have some type of flap of skin. Maybe we have a body part that's hanging on by a, uh, some ligaments and some tendons, la da 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 That can be considered an avulsion. We have avulsions to the scalp or the part of the scalp is hanging on, various different types of avulsions. And then the last is that we have an amputation, which speaks for itself, full body part no longer connected to the body. So treatment for amputation, you probably think, oh, we got to put it on ice. No, we no longer put it on ice, okay? We, number one, rinse it if it's dirty. Two, wrap it in a barely moist or dry dressing. Three, place it in a bag, keep water off of it. D, keep it cool. And last part, transport with the patient. This is our treatment for amputation. Three by five card, you need to know it, you're going to be tested on it, okay? Just like when you're going to be tested on frostbite and what you do for frostbite. You need to know specifically what you're going to do. Now, this is going to kind of be out of the blue, but I just kind of remembered, is we will normally apply an occlusive dressing to any type of injuries to the chest, obviously because we are preventing or trying to minimize damage caused by an open pneumothorax. Now, with that, that occlusive dressing, we also want to use occlusive dressings on any type of lacerations that are near the neck, primarily near the jugglers, okay? So if you have a test question that talks about, well, what you would treat with a slicing injury near the jugglers of the neck, then you want to go ahead and apply an occlusive dressing. That would be the treatment. I don't know why that came out. Maybe it's because we're going to be start, we're going to start talking about injuries to the chest. Now, unlike the occlusive dressing for a chest, for the neck, we're going to tape all four sides. Okay, remember that, all four sides. 
Now, in the injury to the chest where we're going to apply occlusive dressing, we are going to tape three sides because, number one, we want air to be able to escape out of that because the person has a hole in their lung, so the air needs to go someplace. So that's why we tape three sides. Now, unfortunately, sometimes because of the wetness and so forth, that occlusiveness will just nicely tightly seal, and now air is no longer escaping and you'll notice that your patient's now getting um, or they may be present with more shortness of breath and more difficulty breathing you want to go ahead and tear up some of that tape and it's called burping to allow the air to escape and then we reseal it it's just something that you may possibly have to do just so you know that fourth side that we leave open this is considered a flutter valve that's what we call it in the medical field so just a fyi type of thing before we go on our little break for our sponsor, I want to remind you that if you see any type of bleeding coming from the ears, that you need to take a 4x4 and gently place it next to the ear and then bring it back. If a person has cerebral spinal fluid caused by a basilar skull fracture, you'll see a thing known as the halo effect. Blood will be in the center of the 4x4 and it'll be surrounded by a yellow haloness, which is the CSF fluid. If you see that, you should possibly consider your patient have a basilar skull fracture. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for our sponsor, and we will get back to our learning lecture. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about impaled objects. Our goal with impaled objects is to stabilize them in the position that we found. Once again, we only remove if we have airway difficulty or we need to for CPR. If you have an impaled object in the eye, you are still going to stabilize. Now, depending on the course that you're in will depend on the techniques that you'll learn to do this. Now, it's just my opinion that you should cover both eyes. There are some theories or thoughts that you can just cover the affected eye. I'm not a big fan of that because what one eye does, the next one does. So the person who is, if they're looking around... That object is moving around with the eye itself, so we should reduce the stimulus that our patient has, thus cover both eyes. But once again, this is just my medical opinion. Now, if you have a patient who has suffered some type of chemical burn or received chemicals inside of their eye, we always irrigate from inside to out. If both eyes are affected, you could utilize some O2 tubing to flush them both at the same time. But you want to flush for a minimum of 15 to 20 minutes, okay? 15 to 20 minutes. We should also attempt to identify what type of chemicals are in their eyes as as, uh, some chemicals react to water. Unfortunately, throughout our career, we're going to go on various different types of emergencies. So let's talk about some facial emergencies. Sometimes when the face is suffers a traumatic injury, we have to take some precautions. First one is we may have to, because the patient's bleeding, we may have to suction as needed. If there's any loose teeth, you want to remove them because we don't want them to interfere with the airway. We're going to control bleeding with direct pressure and pressure dressings. That's what we do around the facial area, okay? Not the skull, the facial and cheek area. All right, let's talk about eviscerations, one of my Favorite injuries? No, no, not really. So evisceration is when the intestines are exposed. Now, like many of you that are listening to this lecture that are in my class, I have one story after the next. I mean, how how can you how how can you not after thirty years of doing this? 
So we are going to teach you various different things to do for your patients. But we can't possibly think about every emergency that you went on. So let me go back to my EMT and paramedic days when I was sitting in the seats that you guys are in. They told us about eviscerations. We treat eviscerations by keeping the intestines clean and moist. So you're going to get some uh, a bandage, call it an abdominal dressing. You're going to soak that puppy down, and you're going to place it on top of the intestines to keep them sterile as well as moist. Well, where do you go when you have that patient who presents with intestines falling out of their rectum? It's like, I still remember the call. My partner, Frank, and I, we walk in, and literally standing in front of us is a patient, an elderly gentleman, with about four to five feet of his intestines hanging out of his rectum. And I was just like, um, Frank? And Frank just has that smirk because he had been a paramedic longer than I had been. And I'm just like, did I miss that lecture? What lecture is contains the intestines out of the rectum treatment? But so we, we lay him down the gurney. We wrap his intestines with moist abdominal dressings, and we transported him that way. I had never heard of this happening after being an EMT for five years, four to five years, and then being a medic for just under a year because it happened very on in my paramedic career. And I then after that, it seemed like it happened more frequently. It was like, wow, that just opened up the floodgates. So you got to remember that some of these techniques are going to be a combination of techniques because, once again, we just cannot plan for every type of emergency that you're possibly going to see in your career. Once again, never say... I think I've seen it all. Nope. No one has ever seen it all. Because just when you think that happens, boom, life will throw you a curveball and you'll be like, okay, should have never have said that. So evisceration treatment is cover with moist dressing, cover with occlusive dressing, and bend the knees to relieve some pressure. Okay, test question. A fair-skinned patient was exposed to the, su- to the sun and has a painful, superficial thickness burn to her upper back. As a knowledgeable EMT, you would recognize that the blank layers of the skin have been affected. A. Epidermal. B. Subcutaneous. C. Dermal. D. Epidermal and dermal. In this, we're just talking about a sunburn, ladies and gentlemen, so our answer would be A. Epidermal. The epidermis is the tissue that is damaged by the sun on a first-degree sunburn, okay? So just remember that. Okay, now we're going to talk about burns, types of burns. We have thermal, electrical, chemical, and with chemical, remember the little quote, brush before you flush, and then radiation burns. So first-degree burns deal with the epidermis. This is normally just redness. Secondary burns go a little bit deeper, and they present with redness and blisters. With the blisters, we do not want to pop the blisters. We want to actually protect the blisters. But with both the first and second degree, not only do we want to provide protection, but we want to provide cooling. It is recommended that you cool the burns for 15 to 20 minutes. But remember, the first thing you do with all burns is you stop the burning process. Remember that. Stop the burning process. We don't do anything before we do that. 
third degree burn is a full thickness burn all the way down to the bone. At this point in time, we're not worried about cooling. We're worried about protecting from infection because in my opinion, about 99.9% of these burns will become infected. On electrical burns, what we want to remember about those is we do not know the path that the electricity travels from the entrance to the exit. So we will be concerned with the damage that was done internally. So with that, the entrance could be very small, but the damage inside the body could be massive because electricity just took the path and destroyed various different body systems. So remember that. And as we just talked about chemical, we brush before we flush. So if you have a patient that has some type of chemical on them, we remove their clothing and then we brush before we flush. All right, test question. 51-year-old male was burned in the face after a steam valve was accidentally opened. His face is red and swollen, and he is screaming in pain. He also states that he's having a hard time seeing. Which of the following is the EMT's priority concern in caring for this patient? A, airway compromise. B, facial disfiguration. C, loss of vision. D, pain management. Well, let's use the Chris Cano algorithm to test taking. Is there any answers that deal with BSI? No. Is there any answers that deal with scene survey? No. Is there any answers that deal with general impression? No. Is there any answers that deal with airway? Oh, A, airway compromise. Thus, the answer is A, airway compromise. You see how the Chris Cano algorithm to test test taking works? Boom. Okay. Just kind of like giving myself a little kudos there. Now, after a patient has suffered a burn, there is a possibility that they could die from the burn. Within the first 24 hours, the patient will possibly die from any respiratory burns or hypovolemic shock. After 24 hours, the death is usually indicative from infect or caused by infection, I'm sorry, or kidney failure. Just a FYI on that. So burn severity. Critical Critical areas are the face, airway, hands, face, feet, genitals, and any circumferential burns. Electrical burns are always considered critical because, once again, we talked about that. We do not know the path that they took. Airway burns are uh, critical because we are concerned with the airway swelling up to the point that it closes. Okay, You need to remember that. So someone suffers any type of smoke inhalation, any hot gases to the facial area, you should be concerned with the airway possibly swelling. Any third-degree burn that it takes up more than 10% of the body is critical. Any second-degree burn where more than 30% of the body is critical. And then burns affecting the young, old, or have additional injuries or a significant mechanism of injury are considered critical. At this point in time, you need to Google the rule of nines or look in your textbook. You need to memorize the rule of nines. This is a three-by-five card, okay? I can't help you here, but you've got to know that during testing time, we're going to ask you specific questions such as, the patient has suffered a burn to the anterior chest as well as half the arm. What percentage of body was burned? Well, with that, the front of the chest or the front anterior is 18%. The whole torso is 36, but anterior chest is 18. 
Each arm is 9%, but we just said half an arm, so that's 4.5. So you have 18 plus 4.5, which will give you your percentage of the body burn. So you need to be very careful when you're answering these questions because we're going to throw things out at like out at you like that to see if you're reading the question and you're thinking. So memorize the rule of nines for your trauma 5 block exam and also for a national registry. Okay, so let's try this. A burn patient has full thickness burns to the fronts of both legs and the entire left arm. The front of the patient's right arm has superficial thickness burns. Under the rule of nines, the EMT should estimate what percentage of patient's body has been burned. A, 27%, B, 32%, C, 36%, D, 45%. In this, you should have answered A, 27%. Front of both legs, 9 plus 9, and the entire left arm, 9. So we have 9 plus 9 plus 9 equals 27. I hope you got it right. If you didn't, go back and take a look at the rule of nines chart to see where you went wrong. Now, at the beginning, we did mention under burns that we have radiation burns. This is what you need to know from radiation burns. For ionizing radiation, we are going to follow the expert's advice. We are going to call experts in that are going to help us treat this. And our treatment is supportive, once again, because the radiation's already been inside of the body. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in my class, this is lecture three of four in relation to getting ready for your block five trauma exam. Lecture one is shock and trauma. Lecture two is orthopedic injuries. Lecture three is this lecture, and lecture four will be head, spine, chest, and abdomen injuries. So for your edification, this is lecture 15, lecture 16, lecture 17, lecture 18, which need to be listened to for your trauma five block exam. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, going to throw my plug out at you. Follow us at www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You can find me on Instagram at C-A-N-O-E-M-T-P, as well as on Twitter, same handle, at C-A-N-O-E-M-T-P. And register at www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. We're going to be updating the page a little bit more, as well as having some informative study guides in relation to your National Registry test. And only members are going to be allowed those study guides. Membership is free. Membership will always be free. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, good luck. And remember, the Chris Connell silver lining for emergency medicine. Not everyone could be an EMT, but anyone could be a firefighter. All right. Good night.